John chapter 15, uh, we're going to go ahead and read the chapters, so I'm going to stand, and if you don't mind standing for a couple of minutes, you can stand too, if you want to sit, because we are reading 27 verses, I totally understand, I kind of feel like sitting, but we're going to go ahead and stand and read chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am in the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I've said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have known sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father... He will testify of me because you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Fathers, we take a few minutes tonight to direct our hearts to God, this passage of scripture that you poured into your disciples moments before you were betrayed. Lord, hours before you were crucified for our sins. Lord, I pray that our ears would be in tune to what your spirit is wanting to say to us tonight. I thank you so much for the men and women that are here tonight. I thank you for those that are watching online at home. I pray that our church family tonight would hear your voice. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. 
We are coming to the end of our series on being discipled by Jesus, where we're looking at those passages where Jesus pulled aside, not the multitudes, not the scribes or the Pharisees, but his disciples. And we're doing this because how cool would it have been to be discipled by Jesus? How great would it have been to have walk with him and listen to his words and listen to what he said? And I'll never forget the day when I was feeling that way and the Lord was like, hey, dummy, it's all right there. You can read it and be discipled by me anytime you want. So we started with the Sermon on the Mount and we saw there are kingdom principles that we're to live by on this narrow road, not in some monastery, but in the culture, the community, the neighborhood, the job, the school that God has placed you in. We saw in the middle of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 10 and Matthew 16 that, 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 that sometimes it costs us to be a disciple. That we're to take up our cross, deny ourselves and follow him. And now that we're in John 13 through 17, we've come to the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we see that he pulls his disciples first in an upper room and then now that we get to chapter 15, he's on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's pouring into them things that they need for life and ministry. The things that people share with us right before they go home to heaven. If they know they're going and and you're important to them and they can communicate, those things are going to be heavy. And Jesus is no exception. He's been sharing with his disciples six keys to life in ministry. Six secrets for life in ministry. And we've been looking at those. The first one early on in chapter three is that greatness is service. We live in a world that says, if you're going to be great, make more money than every other people. If you're going to be great, you control people. You tell them what to do. Jesus says, no. If you're going to be great in my kingdom, you better learn, you better learn to be the servant of all. And he illustrated it how? By taking a towel, getting on his knees, and washing those dirty, stinky disciples' feet. And then he gets up, and what does he say? Hey, as I have done to you, I want you to do to others. Because greatness, greatness for all of us, friends, all of us that want to be disciples, it's found in service. The second principle he shares with them later on in John 13 is it's not so much how you start, but how you finish. And we saw that exemplified in Judas, John, and Peter. Especially when you think of Judas and Peter, they both denied the Lord. They both had their moment of walking away from God. But there's a huge difference between Judas and Peter, isn't there? One is the most celebrated disciple of all time. One's the most despised disciple of all time. The difference, and it's how they finished. Judas was sad that he had betrayed Jesus, but he didn't repent. He didn't turn back to the Lord and say, God, I want to serve you all of my life. What did Peter do? He heard Jesus' voice on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he didn't even bother getting dressed. He jumps into the water. I know that voice. Oh, he wanted to be back with his king. And, and, And friends, it's so important. I don't know what's been going on recently, but God would say to you tonight, how are you going to finish? Oh, I've been doing well. Great finish well. I've been falling in the mud. Get up and finish well, disciple. The third thing we looked at last week from John 14, and that Jesus explains to them all throughout John 14 why he needed to go. And as he shared with them why he needed to go, it was really comfort to a troubled heart. He said, I'm leaving you. And that bummed them out naturally. But he shares them, it's so good that I go away because I'm going to prepare a place for you. You're going to go to heaven. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to partner with you and do ministry and your joy will be full. And he shared them these things that all of us need to hear as we get troubled hearts, as we go through life and ministry as well. 
As we come to chapter 15, now we get to the fourth principle of life and ministry. And as I said last week, I know you Bible students are thinking, oh, there's st- we could cover so much in John 15, and I agree with you. We could spend weeks just tearing apart each one of these chapters in what's called the, you know, the upper room discourse. But that's not my intent in this series. There's a time and a place for that. But in looking at being discipled by Jesus, I just want us to get the gist of the chapter. What they would have walked away with, not after they sat down and meditated and studied over Jesus' words, but when they just were walking and thought, man, I needed to hear that. Amen. I need to hear what Jesus said. And I think the overarching lesson of John 15 that they needed to hear that night was their need of this, as disciples to abide in Christ. They saw their need to abide in Christ. Jesus shared with them their great need. Again, look with me in verse 1. We'll just read a couple of verses. In verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you by this. My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now understand, friends, this message, this very important message on abiding, it happened as they were on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. How do I know that? Well, you look at how chapter 14 ends. In verse 31 of chapter 14, it's just the verse right before, it says, but the world may know that I love the Father, the Father gave me commandments, let us go from here, arise, let us go from here. They're leaving the upper room, they're walking to this garden of Gethsemane where they're gonna pray for a while and then Jesus is going to be betrayed. And as they were walking from really anywhere in the city of Jerusalem, we don't know exactly where the upper room was. There's many traditions to where it is. But anywhere basically in the city of Jerusalem walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane there on the Mount of Olives, they would have had to walk by the temple. And understand, this was Passover. It would have been a full moon out, kind of like it is tonight. And they would have been able to see the temple. And what they would have been able to see is on the side of the temple, on the gates of the temple, Herod the Great, when he, when he kind of redid and modernized the temple, he put this symbol of Jewish pride, the, the, the vine, the grapes and the vine branch, right there on the, on the front of the temple, on the side of the temple, on the gates of the temple, was this Jewish symbol of Jewish pride. It's kind of like our stars and stripes, you know? That was kind of their, their Jewish pride symbol, and it was gleaming there on the temple, and Jewish history tells us that every year, the wealthy Jewish families would come and add to it. More gold, more jewels, and that thing must have been illuminating in the moonlight as the disciples walked by. And Jesus used it to teach a very important lesson. You see, Jesus knew that this symbol of Judaism, well, these guys, these boys that were walking along with them, they were about to get kicked out of their natural father-given religion. They were going to get kicked out of Judaism. It was going to be a rough time for them. But Jesus was communicating, you need to see, you need to understand, you are still connected to me. You are still abiding in me. That is the point of John 15. 
And I say that because I've heard many a sermon from wonderful guys. And the point seems to be in John 15, you better watch out. You better watch out. Boy, if if you're not producing fruit, God's going to burn you. Burned me? Yeah, burn you. And if you are producing fruit, okay, okay, then he's going to clip you. What? My choices are getting burned or clipped? That's, that's my future? Now listen, I understand why some interpret that passage this way. We all know God clears things out of our lives absolutely. Yes, he does. But I personally don't believe that's what's happening in this passage linguistically. Let me explain. Jesus says in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's what our, our Bibles say. But the word there, that phrase takes away, it's arrow in the Greek. Now, three out of the four definitions of arrow, when you look them up in a Greek dictionary, mean to pull up, to raise up. Only one, the last one, means to take away. The top three are rising up, pulling up, and we see that in the other places the word arrow is used in Scripture. Great example, Luke 17, 13, it says, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They lifted up, arrow their voices. Their voices weren't taken away. It wasn't they were hoarse. That wasn't it. They were lifting up their voices. We see it again in John 11. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus didn't take away his eyes. That would have been... Trippy. He, he lifted up his eyes. He looked up to heaven. Again, arrow lifted up, not taken away. And I think the misunderstanding continues with the next thing Jesus says in John 15. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Now again, this to me is scary. If you're going to be bad, you're going to be taken away. And if you're going to bear fruit, well then God's coming with the giant clippers to cause some pain. It sounds like I'm bummed either way. Well, again, verse 2, it says he's going to prune. The word translated prune is katharo, katharo, and it means to clean. Certainly, you could translate as cleaning as in clipping, but it, but it just basically means to clean. And we see that in the other places it's used in Scripture. John 13, 10, we looked at that two weeks ago, a great example. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed means only to wash his feet, but is completely katharo, completely clean. You are katharo, you are clean, but not all of you. Jesus says you're clean, not pruned. That's the normal use of the word. So understanding that, friends, I believe what Jesus is saying in John 15 is not terrorizing, it's terrific. That every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he lifts you up. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleanses. Now understand, that's what would happen in vineyards of that day and vineyards today. A branch would get weighed down and fall into the mud. It wouldn't be lopped off. It would be tied up. And if it had borne fruit and that fruit had gotten down in the mud, it'd be washed off by a caring vine dresser. That's what God does. When you're down, he lifts you up. If your life is contaminated, he washes it off. How can you be so sure? Look at the next verse. Look at verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You're clean by the word that I've spoken to you. Not you're bloodied by the clippers that I've used on you. You're clean because of the word. I've lifted you up. I've cleaned you by the word, by you being in the word, by you staying in the word. He's "Ah, not so sure. Look at verse 6. I mean, verse 6, it says, if I'm not abiding in Christ, I'm going to be gathered up and burned. Well, you're going to tell me there, the Greek word burn means warmed in the light of God's love. Is that what it means, Greek scholar? 
No, it, it, it doesn't mean warmed in the light of God's love. It means burned. But again, I believe what God is saying is that fruit-bearing part of your life, it's gonna be tried with fire. You remember learning about the Bema Seat judgment? The, 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 in heaven, there are two judgments. It's the great white throne judgment. And at the great white throne judgment, friends, there's only one thing that matters. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's it. It's not about your tithe record, your church attendance, whether you came to Wednesday nights or just a smo. No, that isn't it. That will not come up at the great white throne judgment. No. Is your name in the book of life? Have you believed on Jesus Christ? Receive what he did on the cross for you. But there is another judgment in heaven. The Bema seat Paul talks about, multiple places. And he talks about that's where you and I, our works are examined. The things we did, and again, the things we did for him, they become reward and responsibility for all of eternity. God blesses you for being faithful to him here and now. This life does matter. And the things that we did for ourselves, which for me are many, well, what does God say is gonna happen? Poof is what's gonna happen. They're gonna be burned up in the radiance of God's presence. You see, friends, the wood of a vine, back to the picture, the wood of a vine was not strong enough to build things with. It was either good enough for bearing fruit or burning up. And I really believe that's a word for some of us tonight. Let that soak into your heart and in your mind. Either you are bearing fruit in your life or you're burning up time and wasting the life that God has entrusted to you. But church, I don't believe God's out to harm you or hurt you. He wants to encourage the growth of fruit in your life as you abide in Him. That's the overwhelming lesson of John 15. Abide in Him. Don't be afraid of Him. Abide in Him. Now, to be fair, are there times that God allows cutting and pruning in our lives? Of course there are times. Of course. There are times that those are needed and healthy. We allow things into our lives that shouldn't be there. Things that are hindering our walk with God. And Jesus, who loves us more than we can ever understand, he wants to cut those things away. Of course he does. Some of you remember the character in C.S. Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, that really illustrates this. His name was Eustace, Eustace Scrub. And if you read the book or lazy and just watched the movie, whatever it was, Eustace is, was, he's a character, so I don't know how you say that, but he is self-absorbed, totally immature, and he finds himself turned into a dragon and repulsed at what he had become. He tries to remove the scales himself, but he can't. He can't. So Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure, comes to him and Eustace describes what happened. It says, we'll put up on the screen, this is what the lion said. I don't know if he spoke. You'll you have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat on my back and I let him do it. The very first tear made, made, was made so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peeled off. Guys, that's how pruning works. God is not looking for reasons to hurt you. God is not looking at your life and saying, good job producing fruit. Now here comes the clippers. But when he looks into your life and realizes, oh, Jason, that needs to go. That needs to go. That's holding you back. Even things that I think are good. Even things I think are beneficial. Oh, you don't understand what I see 
That's not good, and it needs to go. He will allow those experiences. He will bring it. And I know we want to turn from those times. We want to turn from those experiences, but the real truth is almost everything praiseworthy in my life has come at least in part from suffering. Suffering I would have avoided if I got the choice. But you remember what David said in Psalm 119, 67? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. David said, oh, I was messed up. You afflicted me, now I obey. Thank you, Lord. I'm sure it wasn't fun to go through, but thank you, Lord. Even though it can be so difficult to see and sense his love, as we go through those times, he is cutting away those things in our lives to produce more growth. The truth is he loves you. He wants you to grow. He wants you to bear fruit. Now, before we go any further, in this study. I think we need to stop and drop and roll. No, <laughs> that, was, that was fire preparedness in kindergarten, kindergarten. No, we need to stop, drop the Christianese and understand what, is, what does fruit mean? Yeah, I know some of you have been saved like 30, 40, 50 years, so you're like, oh, so elementary. But some people are new. And we talk about stuff, God wants to produce fruit. What? What does that mean? He wants to produce apples in my life? What does that mean, fruit? I mean, he, I'm going to become a kumquat? I mean, what in the world is God wanting to produce in my life? Friends, understand, fruit, when we talk about that, I know most of you understand, but so we're all on the same page. Fruit is many things in our lives scripturally. Winning the lost souls is fruit, we learn in Romans chapter 1. That's fruit to our lives when God inspires us to evangelize. Holiness is fruit. Having a walk that's right on with God, that's fruit he produces, Romans chapter six tells us. Giving is fruit. Just the ability to lose my selfishness and say, God, here's my time, here's my talents, here's, here's, here's my money. It's a fruit that God wants to develop in our lives. Praise is fruit, the book of Hebrews tells us. That coming and being able just to sing songs to God, it's a fruit that God wants to develop. And of course, we all know that the greatest fruit he wants to develop, well, Galatians 5 tells us, it's love. That actually is the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is many, many good things in our lives, things that we long for. Being able to be an evangelist, to be holy, to be less selfish, to praise God, to love one another. It's things that I desire in my heart and life. But the question still remains, how? How do I bear fruit? And to me, that's the real point of John 15. It's not that Jesus is coming with the clippers. The real point of John 15 is how that fruit is produced. And the point, the secret Jesus is sharing, the fruit comes from our connection to him. The fruit comes from us abiding in him. Jesus says, you can't do anything without me. You can't do anything. Now think that through for a second. Really think that through, Bible students. I can't do anything without him. I mean, the reality is, we can. We do. I mean, don't misunderstand me. God holds our breath in our hands. If he decided he didn't want me to walk off the stage tonight, I'd have no chance. It's not like I demand. God holds my breath in his hand. But by his grace, we live. We go through our lives. And in his grace, there's a lot of things we can do without him. You can raise a family without him. You can earn a living without him. And the sad truth is, I've seen it. You can even pastor a church and teach Bible studies and lead worship without abiding in Christ. There are many things you can do without him, but I think the heart of God is it'll never produce fruit. 
It'll never produce anything of real eternal value. You can raise a family, but at best, it'll be founded upon quicksand and it'll be in danger. You can earn a living, but you won't be storing up treasure in heaven. You can pastor a church or teach a study or lead in worship, but it'll just be words or chords or the energy of man. It'll never produce real lasting fruit. And that's what we desperately need. We need to abide in him. And as I do, I can go to him and I can ask anything in his name, in his nature, as we talked about last week, and he will do the work. Apart from him, I can do nothing. But abiding in him, there is nothing that he wants to do in your heart and life that he cannot accomplish. That's amazing. So you want to be fruitful? Abide. You want to be fruitful? Abide. You need to be in his presence. You need to be in his word. You need to be seeking his face. Oh, but I don't deserve that. I've done so much. Friends, That's why the teaching of grace is so important for you. You who already believe in Jesus. Oh, we all understand grace is important for those that are far from God. Of course we understand that. You don't know God tonight. You've never surrendered your life to the Lord tonight. You need to understand grace. That God loves you and he wants to draw you next to his side and make you his child and remove that guilt and that shame. He died to make you a child of God. You need to understand grace. But lest we think that's only a handful in the room tonight, you that believe in Jesus, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, you need to understand grace tonight too. Because the enemy is so, so slick. I was talking to a young guy just the other day and he, he was sharing with me, just really at the end of himself, just saying, I want to walk with God with purity. I want to be a pure young man. But I can't. I, I can't. And I don't know what to do. I, I, I do well for a week or two, and I, I just, I, I can't. And, and, I, and I come to church, and I open my Bible, and the worship starts, and, and all I, I get is this overwhelming sense, what are you doing here? I saw what you did. I just can't grow. And I share with this young man, you need to understand grace. Not so you can sin more, but so you can abide in Christ and sin less. You see, it may be true that you're a hypocrite, that you know what's right and you're living a completely different way. But I ask you tonight, if you're in that place, how in the world do you think it's gonna be worked out of your life? How in the world do you think that that is gonna be squeezed from your reality? How do you think you're going to do it? By trying harder. Yeah, you and Eustace and your dragon suit. You just keep trying harder. You just keep trying to pick those scales off and I think the Lord will continue to let you try until you cry uncle. You can't do it yourself. But if you'll hear the message of grace tonight and you come to church and you open the word, you get up tomorrow morning, you open the word and the worship begins and the condemnation sets in, you're such a hypocrite. You respond, amen, I am. That's why Jesus died. Save sinners like me. So I'm going to worship. I'm going to read. I'm going to fellowship. And day by day and moment by moment, something supernatural is going to happen in my heart and my life. 
something, listen to me, listen to me, something that will never happen if I give in to condemnation and give up and give in. Something that will never happen that road. But as I abide in him, even though I don't, I just, Lord, I'm so, but I'm abiding in you. Something supernatural is going to happen. I'm going to be formed in the image of Christ. He is going to bear the fruit I so desperately need in my life. Listen, I know you know it, Bible students. You can't work up fruit. It doesn't come through struggle. I've shared this illustration. Pastor Rob shared this illustration. You don't go into your backyard and see fruit trees going, what are you doing? Bearing fruit. Why am I talking to my tree? <laughs> Here it comes. Apple. You know, I mean, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. What happens? That tree sits in the good soil and it soaks in the sunlight that God has provided. It drinks up the nutrients and the, and the water that God gives it and it naturally, as God designed it to do, it produces fruit. And so too with you and I. You can strive all you want, try to pick, You need to hang out with him. You need to understand grace tonight and your desperate need to hang out with him and do it. Sit in the good soil of his word and the sunlight and the rain of his presence and is letting him allow fruit to be developed in your life. What do we do with this tonight? What do we do with this? A pastor that's poured so much into me said this, every man is as close to the Lord as you choose to be. You're as close to the Lord tonight as you've chosen to be. Well, that's not true. I grew up in a tough family. I get you. Oh, no, I I did, you know, my dad wasn't a pastor. Mine either. You've made the choices on how close you want to be to God tonight. See, what I mean by that is his, your sins. Didn't we talk about this a couple Sundays ago? They're gone. They're gone. And so you have a choice tonight. Do you want to draw near to him or not? Do you want to get up tomorrow and spend time with him or not? It's not legalism. It's not checking off a box. It's you deciding, I need Jesus. I need to abide in him and hang out with him and let him do the work he wants to do in my life. Disciples, the secret to life and ministry, you must, you must, you must abide. It's the only way the hypocrisy and the things that shame you are ever going to be worked out of your life. All these last three days, so, so good for me as it was for many of the guys on our staff. And, and a couple mornings ago, I was just sitting there early morning and side of the lake there and just talking to the Lord and you know just something has been going on in my heart I've been sensing it just something that's ugly and it needs it needs to go and so I'm sitting there I'm like Lord this, we need to talk about this God I, I, and it was so so strange you know something you just sense from the Lord I, I, would you just would you read the, and I just I had a sense to go to a, another part of the Bible and just start reading and I did and he was dealing with a completely different thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, God, but, but this ugly thing in my heart, it needs to go. And it's like, oh, I want you to read over. And I just started reading somewhere else. And I'm like, Lord, don't you understand? There's something ugly in my heart that needs to go. And I, just, I just sense the Lord saying, really? <laughs> well, your mama was right. You are smart. Jason, of course there's something ugly that needs to go in your heart. But how do you think it's going to go? Are you focusing, making vows, 
You need me. That's what you need. You need to walk with me and talk with me. You need to worship me and exalt me and get familiar with how holy I am and how righteous I am and how good and captivating I am. And as you do, you let, you let me deal with that ugly heart. I've dealt with a lot of ugly other things in your heart too. You let me deal with it. You need to abide in me. Church, that's the word. That's the word from God to our hearts tonight. You need to abide in him. Oh, deserve, of course you don't deserve it. Hang out with him. Hang out with him. Abide and watch. Watch the fruit develop. Watch the sin start to be weeded out. Abide in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, I ended short. We're all okay with that tonight, aren't we? Yeah, amen. Don't get too excited. <laughs> let's pray Father I thank you so much for who you are for your goodness in our heart and in our lives and Lord myself everybody that leads worship on this stage Lord everybody in this room everybody watching at home we need you we need you so desperately so full of ourselves we're so full of sin and yet you share with your disciples so many years ago that the secret is not to be consumed with our own sin it's not to make great declarations of what we're going to do and give up for you the secret is to realize that you are the vine and we are the branches and everything good everything wonderful, everything pleasant, it is going to be produced in our lives as we abide in you. As we hang out in the good soil of your word and the nutrients of your presence, Lord, that's how it's gonna happen. And whether that good thing is ministry opportunities or sins that need to be weeded out in our hearts, in our lives, God, it is all flowing from our deep connection to you. And I, I just sense tonight, Lord, that there are some sitting in the room tonight who are busy about doing things for you. They're busy about kingdom work in their own lives. But maybe, maybe, maybe they've forgotten that more important than any activity that you would have them do is their personal relationship with you. And God, I think for one or two or ten tonight, you're calling them like you called the church of Ephesus to get back to that first love of where it was just about them and you of taking that walk in the coolness of the day, of hearing your voice whisper to them through the pages of Scripture. And somehow, Lord, between the busyness of life and the responsibilities of our lives and ministry, Lord, we we forget. God, call us back to simply 
abiding in you. Because as your word tells us tonight, we can do nothing. Nothing. There is nothing we can do apart from our connection to you. So Father, in this room tonight, maybe there needs to be some reconnection going on in our hearts and lives. That some of us have have kind of gone off of the vine and we're heading in our own direction. And Lord, tonight, I pray, as we worship for a few minutes before we go our way, there would be some reconnection happening tonight. Lord, I also pray for anybody who maybe is not connected to you. They never have been. They're going about life, doing their own thing, going their own way. And Lord, somehow you brought them to this place tonight. Maybe they were invited by a friend. I I don't know. I don't know. But Lord, they know as they sit here listening right now to me, they know they're far from you. And Lord, right now you're calling them back. You're calling them to a real, genuine relationship with you. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're in that place tonight, you just sense, you, not, not the first group where you just need to get reconnected tonight, but you just sense you're far from him. Maybe you've never been connected to him. Friends, the Bible is clear. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10, 9 says, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall, not you might, you shall be saved. You will be saved. And so if you're ready to get connected to him, if you've walked away big time and you're ready to get connected to him right now where you sit, man, you just confess where you are to the Lord. Maybe pray something like this. Lord, I am far from you. And I'm, I'm a sinner. And I need you to come into my heart and come into my life and be my savior and be my Lord. For Lord, tonight, I give my life to you fully and completely. I want what you did on the cross to count for me. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.